Good morning, church. I ask you to please take it easy on me. I'm not a professional like Preston. <laughs> I, uh, my, name is, my name is Brent Hookstrom. My family and I have been living in Prague and coming to ICP for five years now. Um, I've only spoken uh, to sessions like this at work and in front of the bathroom mirror, so I'm hoping for the best as well. Um, at least I have the Lord on my side and PowerPoint. So today I'd like to share with you one of my favorite passages. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on these passages before. I think they blend in so easily to the beginning of 1 Peter that people think of them just as a greeting. Um, but I love them because I, I feel that they're, they're amazingly encouraging. And because I think of them as Peter's elevator pitch. So for those of you who are not familiar what an elevator pitch is, it's a short description of an idea that explains the essential concept in such a way that any listener can understand in a short period of time. Uh, the description usually explains who the thing is for, what it does, why it's needed, and how it will get done. It's the sort of thing that you could say if you jumped in an elevator with someone and knew that you had them captive audience for the next 30 seconds. So just to set expectations, my plan is to unpack Peter's elevator pitch uh, for you in less than 30 minutes. Uh, but in order to start, I need your help. Uh, if you could please help me by standing, I'd, I'd like to read these two verses together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Thank you very much. Okay, so let's start unpacking. To God's elect, actually, let's leave that part for now because I want to focus first on us being addressed as exiles, uh, which can also be translated as, as strangers in the world. I think this is a really interesting phrase. It's also used a chapter later in 1 Peter 2.11 um, in an expanded form as uh, strangers and aliens, aliens and strangers, as foreigners and exiles, as immigrants and strangers, foreigners and temporary residents in the, the Lexingham English Bible. But I think the Living Bible gets it best. Dear brothers, you are only visitors here since your real home is heaven. You know, this would be a really good time for me to tell you a personal story that illustrates what it's like to be a foreigner or a temporary resident. But as I look across the congregation, I see that almost all of us in church have firsthand experience of what it's like to exist somewhere in between two or more cultures. Living between two cultures is strange. You may be surrounded by a language that's not your heart language. You see values different than your own promoted in the society around you. Even your diet has to adapt. 
But what you hear, what you see, what you eat is just the beginning of it, because it's total immersion. And besides that, you're often far from family and having to establish new support networks in a strange land. To provide some more context of who Peter was addressing in this letter, let's go back to the text. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think that these locations themselves are interesting. Pontus, along with Cappadocia, were the last two remnants of the Persian Empire. Galatia was the home of the Hellenist Celts, who had made a home for themselves in the highlands. Cappadocia is a dramatically beautiful inland region, populated by the descendants of the Hittites, and Asia, here referring to the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea, was a highly developed center of commerce, and Bithynia, uh, full of fertile valleys, was the agricultural hub of Asia Minor. All of, these promises, uh, all of these provinces that Peter is addressing, I think it's fascinating because they're all in modern-day Turkey. What I want you to see here is not a single group of believers that Peter is addressing at the time. He's broadcasting this message to believers dispersed throughout a highly diverse region, each with its own cultural norms and local governments. But in the context of we're not citizens of this world, but of heaven, I believe this address works nicely in any age, addressing believers in diaspora. So what does Peter have to say? He starts by reinforcing his greeting, addressing them as the elect, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let's dig into that one a bit more. God is the creator of universe and time. God exists outside of his creation and outside of time. What does this mean for us? Well, we know that all believers' names are written in the book of life, which has existed ever since... Actually, I am unable to complete that sentence as I have no rational or theological basis of comparing terrestrial time to a heavenly timescale. Our universe was timeless until it was spoken into being. In God's omniscience and omnipotence, you were chosen. I have no qualms myself about the coexistence of free will and predestination due to the aforementioned lack of a harmonized universal time reference. So I won't spend any more time on it other than to say both are true. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be sanctified means to be made holy. Something common being washed and set apart for holy purposes. The God we serve is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart and set apart again and set apart again. There's nothing common about God. And you've been chosen and set apart to serve him. And in the process of being sanctified, you have been made holy. Now, it might sound strange for you to think of yourselves as holy, but that is the end result of being sanctified. And I think there's less questions as to whether or not we are sanctified. Because of this, we are no longer for common use. Again, hearkening back to the aliens and strangers, 
We are not of this world. We are not to allow our common or base desires dominate us. So let's go back to where we left off in, in 1 Peter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I also like how the King James translates this of, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Some of these fleshly desires, these lusts, are easy to identify. While others, which have been whispered to us many times, seem innocuous. Remember the context here. You're an alien living in a strange land. Your job here is not to conform to the world or the culture around you. Comfort is the desire of the world around us. A life without pain or hardship. Let's on, move on to the next part. To obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. In the Old Testament, the sprinkling of blood was performed on objects and people to consecrate them and cleanse them for their intended holy purpose. This cleansing is parallel to the call for our obedience, to die to ourselves and to live for Christ, abstaining from the sinful desires of the world. But let's just reinforce that a bit more. First Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Also in, in Romans 12, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and acceptable and perfect. So what we have here is the functional description of the Trinity with relation to salvation of believers in perhaps the shortest format possible, the meat of Peter's elevator pitch. I guess, raise your hand if you believe the call to action here in these verses is not to conform to the world. It's a pretty amazing call to action. And if that's the one thing you take away from today's sermon, that's awesome. I will have absolutely feel that I've done a good job today. That being said, for those of you who can remember two things from today's sermon, stay with me for the grand finale, because there's something even more wonderful in store. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I've always liked this verse, and I like it even better after doing some research on it this past week. As I started researching the word abundance in this passage, I almost immediately hit a speed bump. There are no listings for abundance in Strong's Concordance for 1 Peter 1-2. Eventually, I found it under the word multiply. See, the word, root word is 
I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it, it's the same root word, plethos, that we get our word plethora from. But it gets better. Here's this passage in Greek, broken down word by word. What I ask you to try to find is the verb. All of the functional description of salvation, all nouns, they're facts. What's amazing to me, the only verb in this entire passage is this word abundance, or multiply. When translated literally, it does not have a time aspect. It is continuously happening. And what is happening is to continuously fill to capacity. Now, if you're of a certain age, you may remember the movie Brewster's Millions. Or if you're in a slightly different demographic, you may watch Mr. Beast. They both have explored the difficulty of what sounds like a very simple idea. Try to spend a million dollars in a very short period of time. Most people can't. Their wishes have become abstract and unobtainable. Just something for their tempter to torture them for not having. When coming face to face with true bounty, true abundance, our brains shut down. And what happens next is we start grabbing for whatever we see in front of us. We don't want to miss out. FOMO kills our ability to think. Isn't it strange that we always aspire to have more, but struggle to handle it if it was put at our disposal? We need to move, we need to evolve from that mindset and, and inability to cope to understand what this verse really says. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. An abundance that is continuously filling you to capacity. Like, go ahead, try to give it all away. I am more, and I will fill you with more. Now, I want to differentiate this idea from the abundant life gospel. I believe this puts the focus in entirely the wrong part. I do think it's possible that some people are blessed more than others, and may even have less difficult hardships. I acknowledge that it's possible that the Lord may provide this to a select few. And you know what? It's none of my business. I shouldn't be trying to look at others to assess their blessing to hardship ratio. I should be focused on my own life. It's the only one I have enough data to really understand and have an opinion about. Better yet, no matter what I've been blessed with, I should try to do my best at managing what I have been entrusted with. Think back to the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14. What do you think would have happened if the man called together his servants to entrust them with his money? What if the servants started squabbling with each other and confronted their master? Hey, how come I'm only getting one when that guy got two and that guy got five? But I do want to touch on a closely related topic, and that is tithing. Yes, we should set aside our first fruits. 
dedicating the first 10% that we earn to the Lord. But I don't think that's the end of our obligation. As I look back to the Old Testament, to Genesis, I see Abram giving a tenth of everything in Genesis 14, and Jacob saying this in, in Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I believe that our tithes should be the first 10% of everything that we have. So yes, it's our resources and money that we're to be a good steward of but it's also our time. Because that's another resource we have been entrusted with. How we spend that time is not something we need to call attention to. We've been warned not to be a hypocrite or a Pharisee. But it does mean between the time we're here in church and corporate worship, time we spend in prayer or dedicate to quiet times, time we serve in ministries uh, on Sunday like children's ministry or outside the church, maybe a small group or, or some charity, I believe we should be giving a tenth of our time. I would suggest, in short, that our time is not ours. Frankly, our claim to own anything is a little dubious. Think about it. Pray about it. I hope that if you do commit to tithing your time, God will multiply your hours and provide you with an abundance of time that is continuously filled to capacity. So in conclusion, my brothers and sisters, you are aliens. You're foreigners, you're temporary residents of this world. We're one community amongst others that are scattered throughout this region. We are not of this world. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. In abundant abundance. And I encourage you to try to give it all, all away, give away all of your abundance to try to see how deep that well of blessings really is. Thank you for letting me share one of my favorite verses of scripture and to finally deliver a sermon on these underrated verses. I hope from now on when you're paging through your Bible and come across the beginning of 1 Peter, you feel the deep joy that I have when I come across these verses. I hope that you find them exactly when you need them and that they bless you and remind you that you are continuously filled to capacity, that you've been entrusted to spend that abundance of grace and peace on those around you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for being with us today, for the Godhead to be fully present and involved in our salvation. Please bless your children. Provide them the enthusiasm to overcome their daily challenges and still have the opportunity to share some of the abundance you continuously fill us with. Glory be to your name, God. 
we ask that you speak to us in the coming weeks, depending on what we need. Whether it is to be reminded that we are citizens of heaven and not of this world, that there is no temptation or desire that we cannot overcome, that this world is only temporary. Or maybe, Lord, it's the need to be reminded that you've chosen us and that we are paid for already. We are under no obligation to follow current trends. We are free. Or maybe it's because we felt dry and we need to get back in touch with your abundance. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today. Please bless my brothers and sisters in the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.